The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. We start with this call to worship. We start with God's word. Because everything we do in worship is a response to what he says to us first. In the gospel, he takes the initiative. He makes the first step. And so whenever we start a time of worship, he has the first words. He takes the first step to us. And he calls us to know him, to praise him, and to give him glory. In a moment, we're going to respond to those words from Psalm 99, and we're going to sing Psalm 100. But first of all, let me just give you a warm welcome, and thank you for having me to come preach this evening. It is so good to see you all. We're going to sing uh, from the Psalter version of Psalm 100, uh, these famous words, All people that on earth to dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. And we can stand to sing. Do, do we stand? Is that? Oh, okay. We stand to sing. <laughs> going to lead us in prayer so why don't you join in with me in your heart as the Lord listens to us as we pray let's pray together <coughs> Heavenly Father we thank you for the words that we just sang for the words that we started with in Psalm 99 that you reign that great is the Lord in Zion. Let them praise your great and awesome name. You are holy. And you invite us in the words that we just sang. To, to sing to you. With cheerful voice. And here we have this marriage of. Your great and awesome name. 
You are holy and separate and different. And yet we can come and sing your praises with cheer and joy. Lord, because we know that you are God and you condescend yourself. You humble yourself to even talk to us, to communicate to us, to share with us your plan for the whole universe. Which is a rescue plan. A rescue plan that gives you glory. A rescue plan that lifts up Jesus as the name above all names. A rescue plan that shows us this world is not about us. And that we can't do it in our own strength. Instead, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. That you are the one who stoops down to us. You are the one who communicates and talks to us. You are the one who sends us Jesus. And because of Jesus, Lord, because of your grace and mercy and forgiveness, because of your love, we can enter your gates with praise. Because of your rescue plan through Jesus, we can approach your courts with joy. We can praise and laud and bless your name always. It is right for us to do so. Because you are good. And you are merciful forever. And you are true. And so Lord we lift up this congregation to you. We thank you Lord for the encouragement. Of seeing people out this evening. We thank you Lord for our brothers and sisters. Who are here with us as we worship you together. We pray for the church family here. We pray in particular for Ian McLennan after the death of his wife Millie. And we pray that you would be with them and any relatives and wider family. Lord give him strength during these hard times. We pray for the leadership here in the congregation as they seek to and continue to serve and care for all the different people. Pray that you'll give them wisdom and strength, energy and time. And we pray for the congregation. That they would know your love. That they would know your kindness. Through the fellowship of brothers and sisters together how do we know that we have passed from death to life that we love one another and we pray Lord for all the different things that this congregation does for the men's fellowship group for the different prayer meetings and for the different Bible studies and work and the different things that go on in the background that many people don't know about we pray for the children's group starting up again. And Lord, we thank you for the continued partnership with Moldova. With the team over there. Helping them with their church. We thank you, Lord, of, that this is a, a, a wide-ranging support network for many across Scotland who care for that nation and the people there. We pray that we would look up from our own situations weekly, daily, and remember that your people cover every part of the world in every language, basically. We thank you, Lord, that we have brothers and sisters of every color and nation and tribe and tongue. And that for all who trust in you, we have the wonderful promise that all of these different people from across all of this world and even across history will worship you together. Be with us now, Lord, we pray, as we read your word and as we study it together, speak into our hearts, apply it through your Holy Spirit into our very souls, that we would know your rest 
your love, your peace this evening. And so we ask all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to sing again, singing this time again from the Scottish Psalter version, um, from Psalm 130. Psalm 130, Lord, from the depths to thee I cried, my voice, Lord, do thou hear, and to my supplications voice give an attentive ear. We can stand to sing to God's praise. chapter 11 and just a few verses from the end of the chapter in verse 25 to 30 these are very famous words words that many if not all of us will know and will recognize Um, and we're going to read verse 25 to 30 I recently preached on these words in Tornagreen a couple of weeks ago, and then again in Harris last weekend. So if there are major problems with it, hopefully they've been ironed out by now uh, with many different audiences over the last couple of weeks. But I thought I would again come and share with these words with you from Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, 
And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading of his own holy and divine word, and in a few moments we'll come and look at these words together and see what the Lord is saying to us this evening. First of all, we're going to sing again, singing this time from the Sing Psalms version of Psalm 139. Sing Psalms 139, uh, the first version of the psalm, uh, and verses 1 to 10. O Lord, you have examined me, you know me through and through, my sitting, rising, all my thoughts afar are known to you. We can sing these words to God's praise and we can stand to sing. back to Matthew chapter 11 and these wonderful words at the end of the chapter have you ever slept maybe this afternoon for several hours woke up but remained unrefreshed you're still tired you're still weary even after a good nap or after a good sleep And sometimes our hearts and our minds are too full, too anxious to rest well. Sometimes you come back from holiday needing another holiday. Especially if you end up going on holiday with young children, you're basically babysitting in a foreign country or in a strange land. 
and without your home comforts and it's tiring but I'm sure many of us will know that feeling of you've had a day off you've had some time off and you still don't feel at rest well Jesus promises rest in our reading today from Matthew 11 verse 28 these famous words come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest but it will be very easy for us to take that word and try and understand it in any way we would like to understand it what however does Jesus mean by rest what's he getting at here what kind of rest is he talking about is he talking about him looking after the children for a few hours to let you relax is he talking about the Lord will change a nappy at four in the morning what you see what I mean what kind of rest is he talking about what is he promising a day off well in more ways than one perhaps what does he mean by rest well first of all to see that we need to see what scripture says about rest we need to see how that theme plays out and so first point this evening the rest is history and the history of rest when God created everything there was no irritation in the way in which the cosmos worked everything ran smoothly there was no disharmony in fact everything was working so smoothly and with such harmony that on the seventh day of creation God rested not because of exhaustion but because of exhilaration he saw that it was very good and the word Sabbath literally means he rested now I wonder if any of you ever thought about the week of creation in, 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 in this way that the day of rest the seventh day was actually Adam's first full day he was created during the sixth day he apparently went to sleep twice one occasion this beautiful woman appears Eve and then the second time he sleeps the seventh day appears and he begins with his first full day he begins his life resting his first day isn't busy 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 his first day fully is rest he's being created in a world that's functioning so beautifully a world to enjoy Eve to live in harmony with and with work to do he's been made with work to do to extend the garden to the ends of the earth to subdue the earth and to be fruitful within it and then the very next day the first full day after he's given this command this meaning and purpose of extending the garden across the world is rest which is an indication that their whole working life this whole means to the end of extending the garden to the ends of the earth comes out of the energy of rest and we can understand that when you're tired and frazzled and tense and worried life is unstable when you have rest and peace you have energy clearer thinking clearer goals now then came obviously the destruction of that rest through sin through the fall of the harmony between humanity and God between human beings and between us and the cosmos there is a brokenness inside of us genetically chemically spirit not just spiritually but spiritually physically and there's a disharmony and a brokenness between us and the world the universe around us there isn't the same smooth running 
because of the curse and the consequence of sin. And so the Bible from that point on is a story laced with the restlessness of our sinful condition. With the promise, however, in Genesis 3 of the one who will come to bring rest. Then later in Genesis 6 you have Noah's parents who have a baby boy. And do you remember why they call him Noah? The name Noah sounds like the Hebrew word, very much like the Hebrew word for rest. His parents knew of the promises of God. It had been passed on through the generations up to Genesis 6. That someone would come who would restore what was lost. Who would restore rest. And their hope was perhaps this was Noah. Perhaps Noah was the promised one. Now in quite a dramatic way, Noah did find rest as the judgment of God fell upon the world. And he found rest and security with his family on the ark. And then he found rest in the new world that God began to create. That he had reshaped and recreated through the flood. And it was an early picture of how God would bring rest in the true Noah. But it didn't last And even when the people of Israel were in Egypt and were saved out of slavery and rescued and brought into the promised land and having been saved they were now given laws as to what to do, how to live for the Lord that had saved them. And he gave them the Ten Commandments, he gave them the Fourth Commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy, to not work and to rest in the Lord. And even that command couldn't change the problems. It just showed us even more how our efforts to rest, even when you're commanded to rest, your attempts, your efforts to rest won't work enough. You will fall short of acquiring good, true rest. Even when you're commanded by God to do it. Rest. Keep a Sabbath day holy. Stop. Worship. Remember what the Lord has done in rescuing you. Remember who He is as the Creator. These are the sort of... The the fourth commandment is laced with these promises of the creator and the rescuer. There is a remembering involved in the resting. There is a worship involved in the resting. It's not enough. Still they failed to rest. And I don't know how you feel this evening. But have you given up on rest? Do you feel like Bilbo Baggins when he he tells Gandalf, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. Where will you find rest? Where can anyone find rest? Well, secondly, quite clearly, the rest is in Jesus. I'd be out of a job if I said I was anywhere else. But he says these words to us in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It means he's the true Noah. It means he's the creator who enjoyed first rest on the seventh day of creation. It means he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Now that part is made clear. And the link with the Sabbath day all the way back in the very week of creation. That link to the Sabbath. And then the Sabbath history as it runs throughout the Old Testament. Including how we can't achieve it through sheer force of will. Of trying to keep the law. Trying to keep that command. 
comes in the fact that it's no accident that directly after these words in chapter 11, directly after his promise of rest in chapter 12, now remember, in the Greek, in the New Testament, there was no chapters. There were no divisions in the chapter. So chapter 11 technically runs straight into chapter 12. There's no pause. So you hear this promise of rest. And then straight away, in chapter 12, Jesus shares with us Sabbath day stories. He tells us explicitly he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And so we have these marvelous examples of how Jesus was able to give what the Sabbath day of rest at its fullest here on earth only symbolized and gives us a picture of. So you see, you meet someone with a withered hand in chapter 12. And we meet someone who is blind and mute. Both of them, you could easily say, are burdened, are laboring, are heavy laden. They're weary. And Jesus works in them a deposit, a foretaste. Of his new creation power. Giving them rest. And peace. And hope. Now it's clear. From these miracles. Where Jesus. Every time he does a miracle. He's proving. I'm the one that controls. The rules and the laws of physics and nature. I'm the creator. So listen to me. He's also given them a foretaste of what's to come in the new creation. So with this, it's clear here is the one who can give you rest. But how can Jesus give you rest? What's so special about the rest that we find in Jesus? Well, it's because he's like no one else. He does it. By entering into the deepest darkness in your life. The deepest form of restlessness that you could ever experience. Jesus has been there. The gospel writers bring this out in very, very powerful terms. They describe Jesus going into the garden of Gethsemane. Right before he was betrayed and arrested before the cross. To go onto the cross. And they describe Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane with extremely emotional, violently emotional language. The gospels say that Jesus began to be filled with sorrow and greatly distressed. They describe him as sweating blood. An 18th century English scholar once said that, that the verbs describing his sorrow and him being greatly distressed, they describe the overwhelmed, the half-distracted state that emerges from physical derangement or mental oppression. Whatever you've gone through physically or mentally, emotionally or spiritually, Christ went through the great distress, the great restlessness in that garden. I think that's why the gospel writers are at pains to point out that Jesus fell on the ground. There is a certain sense that he is undergoing a restlessness of an unparalleled nature. Now, think of it like this. Hours before this, he's just given the disciples the cup of communion blessing. The wine, the fruit of the vine. In the upper room. He's extended to them his blessing, his fellowship, his communion. And our communion with God is bestowed like a gift by his hand extending it out to his people. And hours later, now in the garden, he's taking from his father's hand the cup 
that his disciples, his people, should be drinking. The cup of wrath. The cup of terrible restlessness, which is the fruit of sin. And he's tasting it on a level that none of us can even begin to imagine. So he goes into the darkest chamber of restlessness in order to take that upon his shoulders. He's taking our burdens. He's taking our weariness. He's taking the fruit of our sin. All the restlessness, all the fears, all the guilt, all the sorrows, all the grief. And he takes it to the cross. And on that cross, he doesn't just pay for the restlessness. He pays for what causes the restlessness. As Isaiah 53 puts it so well, and many of us know these words. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We are made whole. And so with this Jesus. Talking. To all of us tonight. Because every time we open the Bible. God is talking to you. You don't have to wait for a voice. You don't have to wait for an impression. The wonderful thing. Why do we have an external book? We pray to God verbally. Why doesn't just God zap his words into our brains? Because you can't trust whether that's God or the devil or your own delusion. We have an external, reliable, trustworthy book that you can open up two in the morning, two in the afternoon, twenty, a hundred times a day. And God will talk to you and guide you and shape you and train you and recreate you through the power of his words. And as he talks to you tonight with those words, come to me. Think of it like this as well. When you really mess up, when you've done something that you can't bear to talk about with someone else, you wouldn't want to talk to someone proud. You wouldn't want to talk to someone who is unable to empathize. You don't want to talk to someone who, as you share with them your problem or the thing that's gone wrong in your life, the thing that has been messed up, you wouldn't want to talk to someone who, as you talk to them, they've got a bit of a sour face. Hmm. You wouldn't want to go, that's not, the, that's not the person you would go to if you had something you were struggling with. It's one of the reasons why we struggle to share with each other our burdens, our sins, our fears. Because of the fear of that sour face. The fear of how someone else would react to that confession. To that sharing. We prefer to find someone who knows what we've gone through. You want to go to someone gentle and humble in heart. Friends, that's Jesus. This is one of the few or the clearest parts of the Bible where we are told the heart of God. Verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. His natural disposition towards those who come to him is not a pointed finger. It's not, I told you so. He has perpetually open arms. He is constantly accessible. For all of his glory and power, no one in history has been ever more approachable than Jesus. There are no hoops to to jump through to get to him. Here he is. And Matthew 11 tells us specifically who qualifies, who gets to have this fellowship with Jesus. All who labor and are heavy laden. 
all who are weary. You don't need to unburden yourself first. You don't need to pull yourself together first. You don't need to tidy yourself up first. You know, a minister or an elder or someone comes to visit you, it's one of the great things, temptations in life where you need to have your house absolutely spotless before you would invite someone around for dinner or you have someone around for coffee. If any of you have you know, a cleaner that comes to help you, it's a funny thing, you clean the house before they come to make sure that it's spotless before they then do more cleaning. There is no pulling yourself together with Jesus. There's no sorting yourself out first with Jesus. Your need is what qualifies you to come. And there is no payment. I will give you rest. It's a gift. And this is the one who invites us to come to him. This is his heart towards you. If you don't come to him, don't think that gentle and lowly in any way then means that he's a wet wimp. The verses immediately before this, verse 20 to 24, give us an idea of how God, how Jesus handles, handles those who refuse to repent. Woe to you! Karatzin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. It's judgment. But for the repentant who accept the invite, well, he's the true ark of Noah, in whom all can hide, as the ark takes the brunt of the storms, keeping us safe inside. How do we then with this promise being offered out, how do we then get to enjoy this promise? What does it mean to know this rest? Well, my third and final point this evening, this is the rest of the ruler. The rest of the ruler. Because I'm not going to stand here and tell you that the way to get this rest is take more naps. Do this thing more. Even to say, have more devotional time. And that's your ticket to resting in Jesus. You do these things, you will rest in Jesus. Those things aren't bad. And they are great disciplines of entering into the rest that has been given to you. But for some of us, illness means you can't sleep well. For some of us, the circumstances of your life right now mean that you have early starts and late nights or you're doing night shift. It might mean that you're going through a hard time mentally. But even with your eyesight, you can't read, you can't rest in the devotional time the way that you used to or that you would want to. And this is more than just you getting more sleep. In fact, sometimes for some of us, it's that pressure at night to get to sleep that becomes part of the anxiety each night. You sort of look at the clock and it's like 10 o'clock, okay, I've got eight hours. And then an hour later, oh, at least I've still got seven hours. And I've still got six hours. Oh, if I sleep now, I still have five hours. If I sleep now, and it's just a constant pressure, pressure, pressure that plays on your mind and you lose your sleep. What's rest? The idea of rest in this passage is less to do it's not nothing to do but it's less to do with practical things like me telling you be less busy rest more which can be a good and wise application of many parts of God's word and they should be but his promise here is rest for your souls not necessarily rest for your bodies and this is a rest that is gifted and enjoyed in his personal invite to you. These words are not a lecture in time management at all. 
Instead, this passage has everything to do with the gracious gift of our rest that is out of your hands and only found in the open arms of Jesus. And in his arms, you will find he's got the whole world in his hands. See those words in verse 27, just before the promise. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, he's in control. And he is the personal way to know God. And in that comes the promise of rest. In his arms. In his personal, loving, open, gentle and lowly hearted arms. You will find the ruler. When you have a bad day. And everything goes to pot. You still know. He's got the world in his hands. Christ is still Christ. When you mess up. Or if you are dying, if you are done, if your life is over as you know it, Christ is still Christ. Whatever ups and downs in your life, whether you live or die, whether you're healthy or unhealthy, whether you're broken mentally, broken spiritually, broken physically, none of that touches who Jesus is on the cross it still happened he's got the world in his hands and he died for your sins and mine and so nothing can stop him and it's more than just saying to yourself the cliche it's okay everything is going to be okay Although it is okay to keep saying that to yourself, if that is your shortcut, your shortcut way of reminding yourself to bask, to rest in the fact that the God who made everything and is in control of all of time and space and history, who made it all, controls it all, rules it all, is the personal one who invites you into him because of his gentle and lowly heart. Come to me. And he's the one who paid the death wages of sin because we couldn't keep God's law. And he's the one who pays for the guilt that plagues your conscience. And he took on the anxieties that you cannot shoulder on your own. And he took on the fears that you cannot conquer on your own. It all went on his shoulders in the garden. And it all got paid for and conquered and defeated on the cross and through the resurrection. It's gone. It's done. He took it all. He rules over all. And the same one who rules over all is gentle enough and lowly enough and humble enough not to be distant from you, not to be sour on you, not to have a sour, angry disposition on you all the time, but to draw you in again and again and again and again. And to say to you, it is finished. And to his people who trust in him, he says, it is going to be okay. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And so you look around the world. God is not anxious about the state of the world around us. He's not anxious about what's going on in education. He's not anxious about the messiness of politics in Scotland and in the UK. He's not anxious about your home life. It might be falling apart. God's not anxious about the mess in your life. Even as we are, and we will be. In fact, he has ordained it so that his glory 
might shine through all the more brilliantly. Even as we struggle, even as we repent, even as we go on our knees calling on Him. Even still, that's how He gets the glory. It might not. His full and perfect rest. It might not happen the way we hope in the here and now. But when those who are forgiven enter into his heavenly rest, we will then see it was in the best of hands. We won't see it all now. We're not God. We have a very limited and finite understanding of why the Lord allows suffering. Why does the Lord allow evil? Why does he allow us to fall? But when we enter into that heavenly rest, we will know it was all in the best of hands. So when you lie down to sleep, it's not about whether you get two hours or ten. It's that you can rest, that Jesus is still in control even while you sleep. And he's still your saviour and your ruler regardless. And when things fall apart, you can rest, knowing that it's not fallen apart from him, for him. And when life is chaos, you can rest in the fact it is finished. Christ died for us sinners like you and me. And you can't plan the future. You can't work everything out. But Jesus carries that burden of ruling. Not you and me. That's rest for the soul. Knowing we don't carry that burden. Sometimes a Christian finds themselves doing so much for God that we slip into thinking that we deserve God's blessing. But like the parable of the workers in Matthew 20, where the workers who started early in the morning end up getting paid the same as the workers who started at the end of the day, the master says to them, and they're, and they're grumbling, they're complaining about it, how, do, how can you show them the same grace that we? We've worked so hard and long for you. Why are you showing them the same generosity? And the master says, are you envious? Because I am generous. The basis of his rest is not how much have you done for him. The basis of his rest is him inviting you to know his blessings, his rest, his rule, his love. Always by his opened armed grace. And so this rest, if you remember anything else, it's not a duty to be performed it is a delight to be enjoyed and all of this means it's almost ironic that Jesus says take my yoke upon you and learn from me to yoke is farming language where two animals are linked together by a heavy bar so that they walk in the same direction together but the yoke he puts on you is easy and light, he says, because the other side of it, who you're connected to, is him. He's taking the weight. And he wants you along for the ride. And so finally, in the refreshing energy of his gentle heart towards you, and his gentle joy towards you, in the refreshing energy of his loving rule over your life in the ups and downs. That's where you'll find the energy to walk with him and obey him and follow him. His fellowship, his kindness, his attitude towards sinners like us His infinite attitude of gentleness towards our lack of smooth running is the rest we have to start with. 
our first full day. Your starting point as somebody who works and serves God is rest. And that's with Christ, the energy you need to extend the garden, to extend his kingdom, to go and make disciples and share his love, to open up the kingdom to the ends of the earth. The energy you need to work for him and extend the garden like Adam was meant to comes first in the rest found only in Jesus. Amen. We're going to pray before we sing our final psalm. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your heart towards sinners, gentle and lowly. Lord, forgive me, forgive us. Lord, help us. We sin in thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. We sin in the things that we should be doing and we don't. And the things that we don't do and we should. Lord, please, give us the warmth of your love and peace and rest towards us. Out of your grace. So that that is our energy. To live for you. And serve you. And obey you. And follow you. And give you glory. To do everything we do. To the glory of your name. And so we ask all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. We're going to sing in conclusion from uh, the Sing Psalms version of Psalm 4. Which I think is a very appropriate psalm for the idea of rest and being able to sleep in peace in these final words of Psalm 4. We're going to sing verses 4 to 8. In anger, do not break God's law. Consider and be still. Present a righteous sacrifice and wait upon his will. O oh, who can show us any good? I hear so many say, O oh Lord, shine on us with your light. Show us your face, I pray. You filled my heart with greater joy than others may have found. As they rejoiced at harvest time when grain and wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. My heart will rest secure. For you alone, O oh gracious Lord, will keep me safe and sure. Let's stand to sing to God's praise.
Lift up your heads and be blessed by the words of God. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.